1: Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to Bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's Bombus.com slash ACAST, code ACAST.
2: This is Let's Do the Right Thing in Association with Radio Works. Presented and curated
1: by Adam Hopkinson.
2: This is the LDTRT podcast brought in conjunction with Passion Media and Radio Works. It was set up to tell the story of people going it their own way in the media industries. I myself have launched a media agency this year, Passion, to focus on fashion, entertainment and leisure verticals. We've had loads of great advice in doing so, and in fact a lot of it from guests on this podcast. It has, however, morphed over the last couple of years as I've become more interested in what has changed for media and marketing professionals to address the changes in consumer behaviour. Whilst launching an agency, I'm still on the mission to gather best advice. I'm delighted to be speaking with Suki Thompson today. Suki has a stellar career in marketing, having been chair of the Marketing Society, founder of and now chair of Oyster Catchers, a trustee to Torade and Macmillan Cancer Support, a director of Centaur, and most recently, the founder and CEO of Let's Reset. Let's Reset puts the well-being and energy of people and outstanding business performance at the heart of everything that they do. And the company is on a mission to help one million people live the work life that energises them and those around them to thrive. I think we're going to learn a lot from Suki today. So, hello. Thank you for taking time out and coming here. How are you?
1: I am very well. Thank you very much. It's lovely to to be here. Thank you very much for inviting me.
2: I'm so excited about this. Um, It's coming up on four years of uh, Let's Reset. How's it going?
1: Well, um, I mean, it's interesting you say four years because really what happened was I wrote a book. Uh, I did a-
2: Which I have.
1: Yes, yes. Well, I did I, I did give you a copy of yeah. the book. And I did, I, I, I think saying I wrote a book is a little bit of an exaggeration. No, 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 it counts. I took um, over 100 people of leaders and talked to them about their resilience and their well-being in the workplace. And the brilliant Rankin took their portraits. And so we published that. And then really on the back of that, at the beginning of COVID, literally, um, in fact, my last speech, which was to launch the book, um, came two weeks before uh, Covid, you know, w- w- existed or it didn't exist. But, you know, we were sent home. Um, and it actually, I remember it really well because it was a, it was to News UK. And Dave Dinsmore said, OK, you can talk about anything. I want you to talk about your well-being programme and the book and all of that. But one, th- one thing I don't want you to talk about, Suki, I don't want you to talk about that ridiculous idea that you have that people can work from home. And I don't want any of that hybrid working conversation. Yeah, I mean,
2: had. How, how daft was that?
1: It was hilarious. <laughs> and we, you know, a few weeks later, we were all at home, and he phoned me up, and he went, "Yeah, okay, okay, right. We need to talk about this now."
2: It changed everything, didn't it?
1: Yeah, it did. Yeah.
2: And actually, you know, the the, the segue there is it, it presents itself beautifully. That the the world changed, um, and you are now helping people um, put well being front and centre, and. Are people doing it? Is it? Is it? We we hear it as a as a buzzword quite a lot. But are people taking it seriously? Is, is a.
1: I would say some. Okay. So yes, I mean I think what people have done is particularly during COVID, they've recognised that well-being is a thing, and that people can think about their own well-being and want to think about their own well-being in the workplace. It's not something that you go to work and you forget you're a human being. And when you're outside work, you know, you have all these kind of challenges and good times as well. So I think that is that is a thing. Um, You know, if if I take, for example, last week, Helen and I, um, we were at... A conference or a couple of conferences that TUI, the travel company, were running in Turkey. We've worked with them for eighteen months. We've run a program. We've trained a thousand people in the program that we have at Let's Reset. And their managing director Andrew stood up on stage and said, "Well-being is a strategic priority for for TUI. You as our employees are really important. Every member of the SLT mentioned it. We did a session there." Um, And we did some workshops in the afternoon talking about it. So there are companies like that. It's absolutely fundamentally important. And I think others are on that journey.
2: So they're they're weaving it into their DNA and having it front and centre in the business.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think well-being is one of those funny words, isn't it? That it means lots of things to lots of people. And I think that companies for some time have recognised that the mental health of people is really important. A lot of HR is very focused around how do we help and support. Um, You know, they they have programmes where they outsource um, help and support for people in need. The, f- the work that we're doing is much more around the kind of 95% of the workforce where if we can give them some skills and some frameworks to be able to be more energised in the workplace, then that can really make a difference to our performance.
2: Absolutely. And is it something that's attracting new talent to the industry that if they know that they're going into an organisation that is going to take
1: care of them? Well, I think we've seen from... Um, you know, most companies do maybe an annual report, uh, an annual engagement survey, some of them doing a little bit more often than that. Most people are seeing that the engagement of their employees is one really key. Most companies ask, do you feel valued? Um And what I think happened during COVID is a lot of people were signaling that they did feel valued, that they were having those kind of conversations. But it's been really tough. And where we saw the research shows that um, productivity went up during, you know, not, not initially, but then during that period of COVID, now it's going down again. Okay. Um, we don't fully know because we haven't seen all the stats, but some of it is around people are tired, people are exhausted, people are uncertain. So there's a lot of things going on that is impacting their well-being and their energy that means that the workplace is not as effective as before.
2: Could it have been that the, you know, with people not being in your face in an office all of the time that you had to materially make an effort to check in and make sure that everybody was well rather than just getting the sense of well-being from people? Would that have been something that, that, that drove that, that response of people saying, yeah, I feel valued?
1: Yeah, and I think, you know, lots of companies, um, lots of people, lots of leaders have spent lots of time trying to check in with their, their staff and their employees. The difficulty is, is now we've got a balance and we've got this hybrid. And also, people are quite good in a crisis. We're not in a crisis anymore. Now we're trying to learn with a kind of new normal. Yep. And hybrid working, I think, is here to stay. But we need to get used to that. And actually, for some people, homeworking is brilliant, mm. but for a lot of people, it's not, it's not fantastic, and it's not particularly good for their long-term well-being, and it's not as good for them to be, feel part of a culture, to feel yep. heard, to feel seen.
2: we're we're having massive struggles at building a culture with people being remote it's almost impossible to do but then at the same time the hybrid working works perfectly for me because I can do Monday and Tuesdays I can just get my head down not talk to anybody get it done come into London for Wednesdays, where I'm a little bit more sociable, and then Thursday, Fridays, I'm in the Bristol office, so I'm with people, and it, it works for me perfectly. But I completely recognise that um, that that's not the right thing for everybody, and that feels actually that that's a reset for me. Um, mm. I am familiar with with Maslow's um, hierarchy of needs and and kind of pay attention to that a little bit. But you 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 you've built a model that's a little bit more expanded on that. Can we can we touch on that a little bit?
1: Yeah. Well, I think you know. The phrase, we measure what we treasure... Oh, stealing that. Stealing that. That's a good one. Um, (laughs) It's really important because it's true and and it's no more true than in a commercial environment, is it? So if we wanted to measure what our well-being looks like and how that links to performance, that's what we set out to do. So we looked at Maslow's hierarchy of needs. We looked at... big survey that Harvard Business School did uh, with thousands of employees. Uh, We also looked at some work that EY have done. Um, And what it showed is there are a number of different areas that you need to measure in order to look at your most effective well-being and how that links to performance. So uh, we have based it on seven needs. And very quickly, they are security, autonomy and control, having a creative outlet, um, the kind of relationships you have in and out of work your physical and your mental well-being and your sense of purpose. And we have a very easy test. It's online. Uh, I will give you the link to it and I'll give you a code for your listeners to access it for free. Um, But actually... Uh, it, you get a score out of seventy. We did it earlier
2: on. We did, and uh, uh,
1: not that I'm competitive at all, but forty-seven. How's that? <laughs> well, you know, that's a, that, that. That is your score. Yes. The thing is, it, it's not like at school yeah. where a hundred percent is perfect and everything else isn't good enough. It is about you being really honest with yourselves. So we will see people in their thirties and scores of twenties and thirties. Yeah. We'll see. And that clearly is a sign that that's not fantastic. Yep. And we will also see people, um, particularly certain types of people, who will score quite close to 70. But actually, on the whole, if you really scrutinise it and you look at it yourself, um, you know you had a couple of areas that you know you're not so good at and yeah, you maybe you totally. ought to concentrate on. Yeah,
2: completely. I mean, th- there's no point in doing a test like that unless you're going to be as honest as you can be with it.
1: Yeah, and actually, you know, then I think in in all workplace wellbeing performance programmes, there is a certain amount that the individual has to do. So, you know, we know where you you probably need to have a look at and you probably know what you need to do. Yeah. Um, But also then there's something that the company can do. And if you bring the two together, that's the best way of trying to help you. But at the end of the day, if you decide not to help yourself... Well,
2: exactly, yeah, exactly. And no, nobody else to blame.
0: Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear and T-shirts to those facing homelessness.
2: I think there's one other need that they, in the the industry that that I've heard discussed quite a lot. We've had a couple of people talking about it on on this podcast, and it's kind of the the need for um, for recognition um, and to something to avoid imposter syndrome. I, I, I get it. You're hearing this from people a lot
1: as well. Yeah. Look, I mean, I think imposter syndrome is one of those things that's been around for a long time. I think we've articulated it a bit better now, and, yeah. and we kind of understand that it's one a real thing and that genuinely, we need to understand it and look at it and find ways to get around it. Um, and I think it's often, and I don't like to stereotype, but it is often different for men and women, particularly if you've come from a different kind of background. So it, it is one of those things. But I think it is really important to recognise it, understand, again, individually, what makes you feel like that. Um, but also, you know, it shouldn't be something that gets in your way.
2: No no no, uh, um, no it, it shouldn't, but it, it does come up quite a lot, and, and I've, I keep harking on about this to look, anybody that will listen to me, but <laughs> I feel that the, um, I feel the industry needs a, a qualification which may provide a little bit of a safety net for people. But it always feels to me that media and marketing isn 't as qualified as law or accountancy or, or other outlets for businesses and I, and I wonder whether there's something in our world that we need
1: to do to help everybody look I'm, I am a massive fan of constant learning. And I've talked for a long time. You know, I've worked at, obviously, we built up Oyster Catchers. We put training in there, sold it to Central Media. It's it's absolutely at the core of everything that um, Exxion brands do is around constant learning. Um, I think I would say 20-odd years ago when I started Haystack before Oyster Catchers, um Marketing, the marketing function and the advertising functions were, you know, very much about learning on the job. They didn't look at external yeah. training.
2: And and it felt like a badge of
1: honour to, I'm learning as I go. Yeah, yeah. you know, it's ridiculous. Yeah, it's not what brands feel. It's not what clients feel, no. I don't think. I think companies, and particularly brands, have spent a lot more time and effort on training. And we can see, I, I would say there's a direct result at seeing a lot more CMOs in boardroom positions, a lot more, well, not a lot more CMOs becoming CEOs and MDs, mm. but there are some more. Um, and certainly in the non-exec world, actually, marketeers are really needed. I'm on a couple of boards, um, and I think that's 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 a really important distinction. But you do have to learn. You know, when I did my MBA, and I worked in an advertising agency years ago, they said to me, "Oh, well, you can go and do the IPA course for free. You know, we'll pay for that, but we absolutely won't contribute towards your MBA. That's crazy. I know, and it's extraordinary. It was quite a while ago now, and actually, the way I paid for it was one of my clients said to me, um, oh, that's brilliant, you're going to go and do an MBA. Uh, if you do your piece of research on women in financial services, we'll sponsor you for part of it. Amazing! So I went to three clients, got them to pay for my research, uh, and it paid for my MBA.
2: But the agency wouldn't? No. Uh, mad?
1: No, absolutely. And in fact, my lovely client was a guy called Jonathan Mandel, went to the chairman of the company as the, of the agency at that time when I passed my... MBA and he said, uh, Suki's done this, yeah. we've helped support her um, and you should promote her now.
2: <laughs> I would imagine that's quite an embarrassing conversation to have uh, brought up. That's brilliant.
1: Do you know, luckily the, the business I was in had merged quite recently and uh, and the chair was a brilliant man and he went oh my gosh, I didn't even know she'd done it. Yeah, of course and I was promoted the next week.
2: Amazing all right
1: <laughs> the
2: um it, 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 we, we we touched on covid and we, we've touched on let's reset and we'll, we'll go into this in, in a lot more detail but i i think that there's a huge opportunity um in, in our industry to completely to use the phrase let's reset to rethink about everything that's been gone beforehand and, and not assume that all previous behaviors were correct so who is getting it right in readdressing things and going to the world and supporting their their workforce and seeing benefits from doing so. Does anybody want
1: to single out right now? Well, look, I mean, I think it's easy to say some of the big tech companies are doing a really good job because they're in growth. So we've worked with Google quite extensively. We work with Pinterest. We've worked with Facebook. You know, they are companies that recognize that how you treat your people, having a well-being linking to performance is a real critical part of their growth. Mm-hmm. Y- you can argue that they've been very fortunate. They've, they've been in a lot of growth. They are relatively new workforces. And if they didn't look after their people, yep. they would really struggle. Yep. So I think the companies that I really admire are the businesses that are going through transformation. So I think TUI is a good example. We work with Hilton. Benefit Cosmetics is an amazing company. Uh, We've recently been working with McDonald's and we've got a program rolling out with them. You know, I would say much more traditional companies where actually putting a program where they uh, not just support their people with, you know, what so often we see is the kind of tick box of, are we doing a bit of yoga? Are mm. we talking about yeah. the menopause? Are we giving them the odd free afternoon? Yeah, done. There we are. We've done that. Mm. You know, it's like a, an ESG policy. It's not the same as running something that really touches individuals and makes a really significant difference. Mm. I think on the agency side, it's interesting. I was going to ask. Um, I don't think agencies train them. Train. They are classically what you talked about earlier. We can train, agencies believe they can train themselves better than Mm -hmm. anyone else. They don't need any external support, which is so ironic, isn't it? Because they spend all their time saying to clients, don't do your own advertising, don't bring stuff in-house, we can do it better. Mm -hmm. You need an external perspective, and they do. Yes. But they think they can train themselves. Yep. And because agencies think they have a nicer culture than clients... And they do free drinks on what used to be a Friday and it's now a Thursday. That then means that they look after their people and or they say, oh, well, there's nothing we can really do because the real pain point is driven by clients mm-hmm. making us behave badly.
2: Which, yeah. frankly, oh, completely. Yeah. I mean, it's just
1: such bullshit. Yes. And I think there will be some, you know, there, there are individuals in the agency world that absolutely believe it times are really tough they don't have a lot of money but you know what if I was running an agency the one thing I would do is properly train my people to be more brilliant
2: making note of that right now <laughs> I always felt actually the, the, the agencies kind of got away with it in that they they, they put the benefits of being an, in an agency to the employees of being the entertainment and the kind of the fluff that goes around media and advertising but it's not You know, it drives even worse behaviours and it drives, you know, it it drives an I want and I demand from the agency and it drives an expectations and potentially even puts pressure on their lives from other
1: behaviours, alcohol and and whatever. It's not good. It's not a benefit. It's very easy. And, you know, I love my life in agency world a lot. And it is very easy to use the crux of drinking too much, socialising too much. Um, just generally working mm. all hours, working weekends as uh, as kind of self-medication. And so you don't realise, you know, it's and, and that's very easy to do. Being constantly busy in our industry is one of those sort of badges of honours.
2: Yes, it is. But that drives bad behaviour as well, because if you can be more efficient, you can get it done, then get it
1: done. Yeah. yeah. Look, I mean, in most of our workshops, the Biggest thing that people say is they don't have is time. And on the whole, I can look at anyone's diary for a month and I can save them at least two hours a week. Because it's not that hard. No. We, we sit in meetings yeah. too much. agree. You know, we do that. So, you know, one of the things we talk about quite a lot is if you're in a meeting and you don't have a voice and you don't have a choice, you shouldn't be in the meeting.
2: Absolutely right. And all meetings start a clock on the wall.
1: Yes. <laughs> and yes. an so, agenda. It, exactly. <laughs> yeah. You know, meeting discipline yeah. in client businesses is not brilliant. In agencies is often non-existent. I wouldn't say so much with clients, but internally, you know, look at the percentage of internal meetings versus your external meetings. Change, you know, there's a lot. And particularly we've seen all the stats show that during COVID we now have 50% more meetings. Because we're online, it's very easy, everyone comes to staff, everyone's learned everything, everyone doesn't like being on their own, everyone's got a massive sense of FOMO. You know, we've got to reset that. Yeah, absolutely.
2: But again, at the same time, you know, I, I want to condense my meetings into a day... And then I want to spend the rest of the week doing the work that comes out of those meetings. And and I think you know the discipline that I've learned in in my own reset is, is doing that because I, I I know how I work best. But I want to be able to, to, to distill this into, in, you know, into something that the team can do and learn from. We'd love to get you in to to show us. I mean, we're a tiny team at the
1: moment, but you know, this is the time to get it right, right? You know, oh, I know what tiny teams are good. Yeah? You know, it's it's only about a team. And of course, I'd love to come and do a session with your team, but because you know what what makes me smile is that. It is about discipline. And actually, most people who have done well in business have a great sense of discipline. They have a sense of discipline somewhere in their life. And so they know what discipline looks like. They just only choose to have discipline in certain places. And the stuff that's difficult, like saying no to a meeting, like, I don't know, eating a bag of crisps rather than eating an apple, sleep, sleep.
2: Oh, no, no, so I'm just I don't going want to get to told that off again. <laughs> you know, like,
1: you know, watching horror movies before you go to bed. I've told you too much. In bed <laughs> is not going to help your sleep.
2: No, but I then, know. But yeah. you like it. And yeah. you know
1: what? You can make those decisions. Yeah. But actually, if if time is one of the things that is stopping you perform at your best, mm. then, you know what? You have a choice to make.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I com- I completely agree. I do feel, um, you know, this this is as an outsider of course, but um I, I would imagine that smaller businesses will be more able to implement the changes that you're talking about. Is that is that the case? You know, as a <sighs> rather than having a wholesale cultural change and a...
1: Oh yeah, look, um certainly in large organisations we never try and go in and, you know, do everything all at once. It, it, there's literally no way. So with TUI, yep. Toby Horry was the head of content. We worked with his team to begin with. Um, you know, it was about 35, 40 people, I think. And then it's grown out. And we, you know, we've trained a 1,000 people and we've got 8,000 people for next year. So, uh, yeah, you know, absolutely. Small businesses are fascinating. And, you know, look, I've run a, a, a couple. Um, they are driven by entrepreneurs. And there's something very specific about an entrepreneur which makes them quite uh, blinded by certain things, and usually <laughs> the one thing is their work ethic. I'm feeling daggers. I'm Can feeling... you see well, one uh, you <laughs> yeah. know? Look, like, you know, Rankin and I share this. You know, one of the things that made us do this book was you know an understanding and a self appreciation that we are both workaholics. And most entrepreneurs are. They're driven by quite different things from a corporate environment. Um, And therefore, yes, they tend to really, really care about their people. Um, Sometimes they either care too much or they're so driven they don't notice. So, yes, your answer is they should be able to change things more quickly because it's easier to change small teams. Uh, But I think they have to be very, very self-aware.
2: I need to take a, a, a little kind of left turn here and talk about ranking because when when uh, I saw your post go up on LinkedIn, I was delighted to see it because almost to the day, um, I got a print through from Rankin, and you know the the man is an absolute genius. And if anyone can take a photo of me, though, I don't look like a bit of a doofus in it. It's a start, but he's so good.
1: Yeah, he's you know he's amazing. I did a my first book that I did with him was with Oyster Catchers, and uh, we he photographed. Um, I don't know, about 40, 50 CMOs for this book around creativity. I was, I was massively, at the time, uh, I just felt the industry had lost its focus on creativity. I'd come out of Cannes. So we did that. It was brilliant. And then we did about 120 people for um, the Let's Reset book. And my observation of him, one, it's an extraordinary experience. Mm. I never expected when we did Let's Reset in particular, and we got it because it happened with um, the Creative Influence book, um, was you get a bunch of people together being photographed and they share their stories and, you know, there's, there's kind of an amazing experience that everyone goes through. But uh, ranking can uniquely, I think, see into the souls of people. So of all those people he took the photographs of, you know, I think it was maybe like one or two amazing photos but probably didn't capture them mm. as they saw themselves, maybe as he did. Um, everyone else. I mean, I looked at them and went, yep. That's that's how I see that person, and he does that in amazing. moments.
2: Amazing! It, it was in moments. I, I thought, oh, really? You've done all of that already. That's yeah. Incredible.
1: Wow. Yeah, he's a he's a, and an extraordinary man and a, a lovely friend to have.
2: Well, oh, amazing, amazing. Right, let's get back. Um, so um, l- let's reset. The the, the the phrase is interesting to me because I, I worked with somebody in in uh, like 2017 who kept saying that it was time for a reset. But a, the, the feeling that I had from that, it was more about like, erasing past mistakes, brushing them away, kind of hiding from everything. But surely we need to recognise and acknowledge and tackle them in order to stop avoiding the same trap. So my question to you is, um, what was the impetus? What, what, what drove you to, to set up or, well, re, or reset up? Reset. Set up? No. You know,
1: it's, it's, it's so interesting that you ask that question because when we chose the name, um, a number of people said, well, what's the, pro- the problem's going to be is once you've reset... You don't need to reset again. But actually what we've seen is that people do, and we do constantly yeah. you know, need to reset. Um, for me, uh, the bit I loved about the latter years of Oyster Catchers was about um, marketing transformation. So we did a number of projects with companies like m and Samsung where we looked at the kind of man- marketing transformation. Um, actually, the post office was another one. And... Where we got to was you can change the ways of working, you can change the structure and the focus, but unless you change the people and the culture, it doesn't work.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And I'd sort of got to a place of going, do you know what, I really want to understand how to change that bit. Alongside that, my daughter was doing psychology at university and we'd had a lot of conversations around that. And I saw that in the NHS, you can, you know, if you have mild depression or anxiety, you can, through the NHS, through your doctor, um, you, can, you can have some um, treatment mm-hmm. uh, with a counsellor. And it's a 12-week programme on the whole. It's yep. six different interventions and then no more than half an hour. And you can literally, there will be people who haven't been able to be out of their house and they can walk out of their house. So there's a lot that can be done by knowing and understanding a framework. So I think those were the two big driving forces. And then for me personally, um, alongside building my businesses, I've had cancer for nearly 13 years. I've had seven diagnoses of cancer. And so I think for me, for the last 14 years or so, I have quite radically changed my life in order to be able to look after my two children, build three businesses. Um and I was shocked, I think, when I sold Oyster Catchers into Central, and Central's you know, lovely business, and I've gone and worked with lots of companies. Just how little people in business recognize by, you know, the seven knees that we talked before understanding and focusing on them really makes a difference to your ability to perform. You know, if I don't look after myself, well, one, I wouldn't be alive, and I have a lot to thank a lot of doctors for, but secondly, I wouldn't be able to do and live the life that I do.
2: i really not sure how to respond to that, apart from saying, um, I was going to ask you, do, do you listen to your own, own advice? But you clearly do, because you're still
1: here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you look, it... it I I do. And and actually, I always think that I'm so brilliant at it. And I've got to say, last year I had some uh, immunotherapy and, you know, I'm slightly smug. I think I thought looking at all these business particularly what I'm doing now and I'm looking at all these very stressed people and we're all trying to help and I love the psychologists and the specialists we work with and I'm going you know look I take time off and I eat really healthily and I'm doing all my sport and I've got a sense of purpose but actually what I found fascinating about myself was when I was ill I didn't tell really anyone I told my very close friends I didn't actually speak out about it you now it wasn't because I was embarrassed. I've spoken about it quite openly for, for 13 years. Because I had a relatively new business, I don't want to be defined by having cancer. Yeah. And actually, that wasn't very helpful. And the moment I then had to go you know, to, to some people and to business and go, do you know what? Actually, I, I've got to take a break. I, I can't keep going. Um, I, and then I did again reset my life. You know, I'm now fine, and you look at me now, I am Good, I, I, I wanted, I wanted okay. to ask. And... <laughs> no, no, you know and I'm absolutely fine, but it is interesting. You know, I look back, and I, and I think the bit that's always difficult is really holding a mirror up to ourselves mm-hmm. and going, am I really doing the very best I can? And I think I would say that in commercial business too. Am I really being the best kind of leader I can be? Am I really leaning into learning new things you know, the training we just talked yeah. about, can I be bothered? You know, I, I'm on the board of, of Gately, which is a law firm, and I run their enumeration committee. I remember the chair at the time saying, OK, look, you know, we need you to run REM. You need to learn it. And he says, you can do one or two things, Suki. You can be an average person on the board. Mm-hmm. You'll be OK. You know, I'm not going to let you sink because we can't do that for the business. Or... You can lean in and be properly good at this, but you're going to have to learn. You're going to have to train. You're going to have to be good at this. You're going to have to spend time focused on it. Now, actually, as kind of adult leader, that's quite hard to listen to. Yeah, um, and that's what I've had to do. Brilliant. You, you have so much on at the minute. Are you taking time out for yourself? Are you balancing correctly? Well, do you know what? I did a podcast this week, um, and uh, with a with a chef, and she's brilliant. She's Called Joe, jo Pratt, and she's written a number of books and stuff. And she was, we were talking about this. We got like you know work life blend, and she said, "Look, I'm very comfortable. She's got younger children, very comfortable walking the dog, you know, doing stuff that's related to my work." Mm-hmm. She said, "But I'd never go for a massage," and I'm like, "Why not?" She said, "I feel too guilty." Why? That was interesting, isn't it? And she said, "Look, I just don't feel I have the time. I want to work, and I'm trying to do all this stuff." And and that did make me reflect. And I thought, you know what, there's, it's it's quite rare now that I I mean, of course, I do some things I don't like or I don't really want to do. But I think there's a better reason for it. Like, you know, I, I try and be a good friend. I try and be a good mom, mm-hmm. I try and be a good boss. Um, and there's some stuff I don't like of that. But you do it because it's the right thing to do. But I don't really anymore. I don't feel guilty about looking after myself. Good. I don't feel guilty about taking time. I, you know, I'm very happy to go for a massage. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I do take time for myself a lot more than I've ever done before. You know, I don't get the balance right all the time. But I kind of know. Like, you know, I've had a really busy six weeks. We've got a busy time up yep. till mid-December because we've got a lot going on with Let's Reset and the other businesses I'm involved in. But then I know I've got some time out. I'm going with my mum f- to celebrate her 80th in Galapagos yeah, Islands. Amazing. Yeah, wow. Yeah, that's so cool. So yeah. I'm like, you know what? It's, I think if you constantly keep going without reflecting, uh, then I would be worried about myself. Yeah. Burning um, out. And... You know, th- of burning out. Yeah. A- and, you know, one of the things about living with a cancer diagnosis is I have regular checks with my oncologist. Mm-hmm. So I have moments when I have to remember that I have a sense of, of my own mortality. Wow. And that makes me live probably the best version of my life that I can.
2: Amazing. <laughs> we might need to do a little cut here because I'm not entirely sure how to respond to that. Um, I could have put a crap joke in here now, but um, gosh,
1: I'm, I'm a little lost. <laughs> do you know what? It's 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 funny, isn't it? We don't like talking about stuff like this. And this is why, you know, well-being in the workplace is really tough. Yeah. Because we don't mind having basic conversations. That's what we're used to doing, mm. you know. And we see famous people talking about really difficult stuff and we kind of look at it from the outside. But we don't expect this kind of conversation to happen. Um, you know, when you when I don't, I don't know how old you are, uh, younger than me probably, but... It, there is always a moment in your life where you recognise you're going to die. Most people don't have that until they're much older. Yep. And they might experience it through a parent or a friend, in which case, you know, but my parents are both alive. Mm. And, you know, of course, I've lost grandparents. But for me, I was 42 when I first got cancer, and, or um, well, 40. And, you know, that's hard because you do go through that moment. And, you know, in the same way, I made a choice to work and look after my children. So I used to have that balance of, do I want to be at home looking after my kids or do I want to be at work? And now I just have that balance of, do I want to be working? Or do I want to do something else with my life at the moment? And I just, you know, in some ways, it's quite annoying having a cancer diagnosis. It's a bit shit. But actually, I do live a life... I probably wouldn't have done. And I think if you spoke to Jazz and Sam, all my friends around me, all the people that I've worked with that that know, it makes you think on a regular basis. So, I know you know, Jazz and I and Sam have had some quite difficult conversations. Not really meant to talk to your mum about when they're going to die, if they're going to. Now, I'm completely fine. So, you know, but we've had a couple of those moments. Um, And that's very, very hard. But it does mean... You know, Sam said to me, like, he works in a distillery in Scotland and is loving it. And he just went, you know what, Mum? What you have taught me is live the life that you want to and mm. do something that you love.
2: I, the, the word that's in my head, it, it, is, I don't know whether it's right or not, but is it liberating in some ways that, that you can and do now live the life that you want?
1: Yeah, of course it's liberating because... You know, look, I, I've been in Cornwall walking with some friends for the weekend. I have a house there on the beach, which is unbelievably gorgeous. Whereabouts? Uh, Perrin Porth. Which way? The, the top Just side? down from Newquay. Okay. So mid. Right. Mid, north coast. Absolutely gorgeous. Um, and I spend, you know, we were there for lockdown. So, you know, we've kind of proved we can work Great. in different places. Yes, indeed. Yeah. I try and go there kind of on a regular basis. I know that... Before lockdown, I would have felt too guilty to be there on a regular basis. I would have been there, yeah. like holidays and stuff, but I wouldn't have worked there. And that's different, you know, and yeah. I'm like, well, I need to make time. So it's hard. And sometimes, you know, there are moments of days where you go, I don't want to be like this. I'd quite like to be like somebody that had never had mm. a cancer or something else. And there's, but actually, everyone has a story. Everyone has something in their life that's difficult and challenging. It's just kind of what do you do with that challenge? And it might be that it's a work challenge. You know, I've had moments in every business that I've run where you go, do you know what? This business might not even get going before I'm bankrupt. And it happens in every single business. You will have had a similar experience in your business where you go, what have I done? (laughs) You know, I haven't, I've just not, you know? Yeah. And. And is that liberating or is that really difficult and stressful? It's kind of a bit of both. You it's know?
2: definitely a bit of both, and but it's those things that that, that I mean, it's completely different backdrop that I have here. But um, but I I find those really motivating, because I'm in it and yeah. I've got to do something about it and I've got to address it and you, and you've got to do something because you're backing yourself. Yeah. Um. And I like that. It's thrilling and terrifying, and, you know, and that's kind of actually. Um, why the, this podcast came around in the first place. It was because I went out on my own and I got so much wonderful advice and I wanted to share it um, from great people that came out and said, no, do this, do that, do this. And, and actually life became pretty interesting pretty quickly. Mm. Um, would you impart um, some advice to listeners that, that might be interested in going out on their own right now? What would you consider? What would, you, would you encourage people? Would you, what, would you, what, what, what do we need to do?
1: Well, look, I would always encourage people because this is the fourth business I've set up and I have recognised about myself, I am literally unemployable, I think. (laughs) Um, You know, I love still being part of Centaur. I feel massively grateful. I love working with Swag G, particularly Steve Newbold and the Oyster Catcher guys. Um, I feel very privileged to be able to spend time with them, having sold my baby to that business. Mm. Um, You know, and I love seeing how it grows But I don't have a corporate muscle in me, really. You know, I love being on the board, but that's not what I've known. What I do see is some people that have been in a very corporate environment starting businesses, and it's very, very hard. Yes. So I don't – I used to say, go and do it. It's absolutely fine. Everyone should try it. I recognise that for some people it's a very long way away from where they are. So I think you need to be very careful – about making that leap. Yeah. Equally, this kind of, you know, almost everyone I know that's been in a in a startup, a scale-up, has learned something from it. So even if it's only been for a year and it doesn't work out, or it's not for them, there is something that we will learn and you will be better in a corporate environment or an agency yep. if you have been in a startup or a scale-up.
2: I, I, I tend to agree because, you know, you, you'll have a perspective, how all of the bits fit together rather yeah. than just your role. And, and if it's you want to have a million different fingers and a million different pies, then, yeah. then so be it. But I, I felt that I had to learn how to do that. And, and I love working for myself. I, I love being like this. I don't think I'm employable or manageable either. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but I love, you know, I think what you said is lots of people help you. And I do think, you know, one of the lovely things about starting a business is people help. You know, my first clients for Let's Reset are clients I had at Oyster Catchers, are clients I had at Haystack. You know, I've been very fortunate. McDonald's, for example, is my longest standing Oyster Catchers client. They now work with us at obviously still at Oyster Catchers. We do their client agency evaluation. They're an amazing company. We work with them at Let's Reset. Different people. Yep. But the company is there. And I, I think that, you know, I'm funnily enough, I'm doing a, um, a, a breakfast this week. And the question is which is more important, customers or employees? And I think it's really interesting. One of the skills you absolutely need if you're going to start your own business is the ability to get clients. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of more important than having business partners and everything else. Because you can kind of get people to do the work Um, and... Understanding how to get clients, how to build that business is so important. And then I think the other thing is around you, you know, we've talked a little yeah. bit about this this evening. What I see so much is entrepreneurs having an amazing idea, they go off, you know, our psychologists would call it boom and bust. They go off in a massive, great boom, they work and work and work and work and work, and, work, and then they just kind of bust because yeah. they, they've not stopped. And that's not a very good thing to do at all. So I think really checking yourself, being very clear and then moving around means we, it's
2: great. We, we had a slightly different opinion to that from Jonathan Durden, who was an early guest on this. Mm. And he, um, he said that when they were setting up PhD, the clients would come and go. But if we took care of the people, then the business would take care of itself. So th- there's kind of an, an opposition there that...
1: Look, um, you know, I set up Oyster Catchers with Peter Cowie. I could not have asked for a better business partner. I mean, I absolutely adored working with him. He not only kind of saved me in my life, but also in my business. Uh, Without him, there would have been no Oyster Catchers. And so I completely... You know, I think choosing your business partner, Helen Gorman's an amazing yep. business partner for me at Let's Reset. She's, she's the, actually, in the same way that Pete and I were very different, Helen and I are very different. You need, you know, there isn't a business without the kind of founders and some key employers, employees. But outside that, you know, I haven't had any. In fact, I've had one employee, a uh, brilliant woman called Claudia Collinbon, who's worked with me at Oyster Catchers and at Let's Reset. Helen worked with me at both. Um, But on the whole, you know, if I look at how many clients have I had versus Mm. how many people have I employed, the people come and go. Right. But you need to look after them while they're there. Absolutely, because that's the bit that makes the difference. Mm. The customers and your clients can stay and work with you for a long, long time. So I do agree with Jonathan, and he's an amazing entrepreneur, he's been brilliantly successful. But... I, I do think absolutely focusing on your customers and making your people feel loved mm. and valued is really important.
2: I agree. Um I, I do normally ask at this point in conversation, what's the best piece of advice that, that you've given? But I'm gonna do it slightly differently. Now, if that's okay, I stole some words from your, your cred deck and I want to ask which are the, the points that you make would you want all businesses to adopt first? Oh, this is own. good. Okay. And they are, if you can't care for your own well-being, then you can't care for that of others to really improve your life at work well-being must be a strategic priority organisational accountability is critical to improve well-being and performance and I'm sorry I'm repeating your words I'm loving to you.
1: this just carry on uh, individuals
2: great. must take accountability for their well-being and performance at work and the most critical enabler of an employee performance is energy so if, if we had to focus Ooh. on one of those things first what would it be? Because they're all great advice. Oh, they are
1: all good. And you can't have advice. five. It's and it's not can't fair. Have five. Well, you know, I think I tell you the one I'm going to choose. So, energy is the one that's critical because without energy, I mean, that is what enables us to be successful. It's it what it's actually what underpins the focus of well-being. But the one that people find most difficult is the one about focusing on themselves. Sorry, what? The one about. F-
2: you see, I did tell you I'd get crap joking, and <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry.
1: <laughs> see now, now <laughs> I'm completely. <laughs> but you know that. So, so it's you know last week at the 2E conference and it really made me smile because you know we all went over on planes yep. and I always to say the same thing which is you know guys you know what to do you're all telling me that you can't think about your own well-being because you're too busy t- looking after everyone else well what do we do on a what do we see every time we go on an aeroplane we have the flight attendant and they stand up there and they say if something happens the oxygen mask will fall down put the oxygen mask on yourself before you help others mm-hmm. So, why do we in our everyday lives, and particularly in our working life, think that we shouldn't put the oxygen mask on ourselves in order to help everyone
2: else? What an analogy. I don't know what to say again. You, you, you've stumped me for words several times today. Um, I, I think all I can really do now is to say thank you so much for coming in. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Um, Thank you. Wish you oh. the best with Let's Reset and um, yeah, we, we will get you in and hopefully we can do something.
1: Well, thank you. And, you know, it's been lovely to talk to you and, uh, yeah, I'd love to come and help your team. I really enjoyed this. Thank you. Thank you.
2: Thank you for listening to Let's Do The Right Thing in association with Radio Works, the UK's largest independent radio advertising agency. Let's Do The Right Thing is a Maple street Creative production devised and presented by Adam Hopkinson.